Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of my CMS conversation with Eric Swisher. Eric, let's get right into it. Eric, thinking a little bit about that loss of institutional knowledge that you mentioned and maybe some new interpretations coming up over the course of time. I I know this is probably an impossible question because there's 50 states, but in the typical state, where does the SEMS group reside? Like, is there things that facilities can do to interface more with the folks at the regulatory agency that are responsible for CMS? Is there any general advice that you would give there or maybe even things that we've been doing to interface more with state agency folks? Yeah, it it does present uh, an issue. It presents an issue because the centralized and the decentralized, and I'm not talking Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or anything like that. It, you know, the centralized SEMS section in states have a more robust program, which in some people might think, well, that's more of a pain in the butt than having just a kind of a inspector that's also reviewing my SEMS report. But those entities and those centralized organizations have more consistency and they have more reproducibility and they have more expertise in the area of monitoring as it applies to to their state. That's the easy one. That's real easy to be part of conversations with those guys because there's a point of contact. There's a, you know, a head to the monster, if you will. When you get into regional type, in a lot of states, the, the, you know, the region or the state, you know, the inspector, the air inspector will also look at SEMS data. Right. So there that you get into a state with a lot of inconsistencies because you have a lot of different decentralized or decentralized people. And they're also may not have the expertise, you know, that uh, the centralized expertise that they're drawing on. They're responsible for so many parts of, of the air program, right? CMS right. just being one of oh, yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's always, you know, and, and it's always good to, to take an education mindset with the agency on here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And then here's how we seek concurrence. Uh, typically, you'll get a, a good response by being transparent in that fashion, you know, but, you know, it, it never hurts to reach out and communicate with the state agency around these things. I mean, at the end of the day, there is an aspect of everyone's kind of in this together. And, uh, you know, we've always had, you know, success on good and bad when we when there's something wrong and we have to approach the agency and be transparent about something that what didn't work out the way we thought it would from a SEMS perspective. Again, you're building that credibility for those times in which you do put something in front of them for their concurrence because they know that uh, the way in which you handle the way you conduct your operations. Yep, and as technology and the regulations evolve, we're all working together on it. We're all we're all seeing it for the first time together. All right. So always good to have that point of connection. Appreciate that. All right, I'm going to shift now to operating permits. Maybe another loaded question, but. When folks think about their operating permit provisions, I know they, they're different in every state, but is there some common things that folks can do or, or some advice on how folks can set up 
their operating permit provisions around CMS that make things streamlined more so than complicated and still accomplish all the things they need to accomplish. Do you have any general advice there of things that you've seen? Yeah. uh, Streamlining is a very sexy term. Everyone likes to say it. Everyone likes the intent of what it's, what it's trying to do, but it's also very, very tricky. Okay. Because, you know, one thing when we talk about streamlining emission standards, and I'm going to do a dramatic pause here because emission standards are more than just numerical, you know, numbers. They are other things. Okay. So inside of your, you know, your numerical emission standard, you also have units of measure. So the units, you have averaging periods, you have validation schemas, you have calculation methodology. There's a lot of things to consider when you are streamlining. So you have to be very, very careful, even if the state streamlines for you. And they say, anytime you see compliance with such ensures compliance with this. Okay. That's really, really a big, big hurdle to, uh, to satisfy, to jump because you've got all these different metrics to satisfy. You can look at it like, uh, equivalently, you know, Hey, my one number is lower than the other and the averaging period may be the same. But if my validation is not the same, or if my calculation methodology isn't the same, then I'm, I'm basically changing the numerical standard. I might as well be. So where we see the most success on streamlining is very carefully around the numerical, the limits, but more so on the quality assurance activities, really looking at what you're required to do. And who has the flexibility to allow maybe some uh, some streamlining? So, for example, you may have a federal requirement that says thou shall complete this from a quality assurance perspective. You may have a different state requirement that requires something just nuisance, different, burdensome. It's just like I have to juggle all these roles. From a federal perspective, you're going to have probably less success of streamlining with the state, but you may have more success if the state has uh, primacy over that role to be able to say, guys, this is ridiculous that I'm doing multiple quality assurance activities or I'm managing two or three sets of books. When someone says, what are your NOx number? Well, that depends. It depends on what program I'm monitoring because I've got all this different stuff I'm trying to comply with. A lot of times at the state level, we see value in and being able to coordinate that and show and demonstrate that for, for their role under their jurisdiction, we can do the federal and, and be able to, if you will, streamline uh, those those requirements. But be very, very careful, you know, when you go through a streamlining, even if it hasn't been done, uh, if it's been done for you by the state, because a lot of devils are in the details there. And we start looking at the true way that the, the data is being calculated and handled. Got it. So for emissions limits, sometimes staff turns over. You want that information in there. You want everybody to know exactly how it's laid out. Exactly. Yep. That, that makes sense. That makes total sense. We've had a number of episodes about the new EPA administration, the activity that's been going on around that. So I want to ask about that. How do you see the new administration and some of the things that they may be doing coming up, whether it be electronic reporting and ramping that up? or anything else, how do you see the new administration fitting into the overall picture of CMS and maybe changing the way the CMS picture looks? What should folks have an eye out for? Yeah, I think that 
and eventually, regardless of the administration, it's going to be electronic data. It's going to be transparency, period, and accessibility, public education, crowdsourcing, enforcement, right? It's just how fast do we get there? Every role that's been promulgated, not every role, I don't want to say that in broad, but majority of the roles that have been promulgated for the last, I don't know, you know, 10 years has had the little statement that talks about electronic reporting when available. So the rule has the requirements and the provisions in there to require electronic reporting. Now we're just waiting on, you know, the systems to get in place to pull that data in. And we're seeing it. We've been seeing it. Refineries, cement facilities, pulp and paper mills, they are reporting data in CEDRI. Right. And, uh, you know, in the central, you know, exchange of, of data and that data is being used so to be access to the public. Right. And it's always been access to the public in the acid rain program and and all the trading programs because of the part 75 and and, and the uh, the transparency there. But with that comes scrutiny. So uh, anytime your data is available for for someone to look at and someone looks at it. They're going to be wondering what the heck's going on or what is it telling me about your facility? And that's where you've got to be ready. That's what you've got to be ready for. Makes sense. From a technology perspective, you mentioned this earlier. What else is out there from a technology standpoint? What, what's, what's out there from a technology standpoint around maybe that CMS linking to things operationally? Is there new things on the horizon or even electronic reporting? And some of that real-time access, is there, is there an example or two of that that you've seen that might be interesting for folks? Well, where I see this going, where I see this going is anytime we have large sets of data, we have to analyze large sets of data. What's the coolest thing to use is artificial intelligence. I see and can foresee a time in which when the data becomes available, states, federal They're looking at artificial intelligence to take this data, make sense of this data, and also say, whoa, what's going on here? Why is this high and this low? Why is this emission so much different than the plant down the street, right? Because those capabilities are there. And they're not, we're not talking, you know, 20 years from now. They're there today. And the one thing that's missing from AI is data, Right. Because that's the one thing AI needs. Artificial intelligence needs data to review and learn and and go through that aspect. That's the area where I see more data becoming available, more artificial intelligence coming to the table, artificial intelligence that may be suggesting future emission limitations, not only for promulgated NSPSs or niche apps, but maybe even for Title V, maybe even for uh, BACT and LAIR and all that kind of stuff. You know, when when the artificial intelligence learns what the emission profiles are, it might be able to suggest a whole subset of of clearinghouse data that is automatically being revived and and rejuvenated. That's why good data only, please, because we don't want uh, uh, the bad data to, to compromise that any type of things like that. All of a sudden you've got this groundswell of data to, that's available to be evaluated and compared and contrasted and all that stuff right. by some of these technologies. How does the clean air markets division and the things that are going on on the utility side, because that is something I believe that that has been more data intensive in terms of getting data submitted and out there 
how, how close is that to being able is is that closer on the utility side to where where what you described could occur? That's where I would imagine it's going to happen first. Okay, because they have a very robust data set. They have a people that are just truly, truly dedicated to data quality, and they do a large amount of visual inspections of data. They'll visually graph things and kind of do this comparison. Uh, that's where I see that happening first. Right now, I believe it's just funding and opportunity, and that's where the administration can can play is when is when they do have their, the ability to increase initiatives or, or have funding uh, that's available for or to be granted to folks that want to explore that. But I would imagine that that's where we're going to see it first because their data sets are so robust and their the quality assurance activities are so robust. So we are only looking at good data for the most part. And, and there's a value to the agency immediately because it would replace some of the, the uh, extra effort that they're doing visually right now. We heard from a colleague today in Texas about an organization in Texas that is looking at the ambient pollutant monitoring data as it comes in. Seems like pretty close to real time and actually going to social media and automatically tweeting and putting out their elevated ambient concentrations as they're occurring and the locations where they're occurring. As you walk through that, it made me think of that example. So you're seeing it with ambient monitoring data already. Yep. The one difference that we have is if you want to call it like a little level of protection is the the ability to to transfer data real time from a facility is very, very troublesome from a security standpoint. We have units that that are supplying to the grid that you don't want. When I talked about those IT issues up front, the ability to take data and push it somewhere real time without going and having that connection is something that would be very, very hard to establish because in in the utility, obviously, they don't want anyone being able to manipulate the way the unit's operating and and shut the grid down. In a refining sector, right. you don't you don't want people to have to speed things up or slow things down, and and all of a sudden we've got process problems and all that stuff. So I don't necessarily see it going there that real time right now. I think the the data analysis will become a lot more uh, you know a lot more scrutiny. But I'd be a little bit I would I would think that there there's just, you know national security issues at play. Sure talking about, you know, affecting the grid and having that real-time, you know, connection from a SEMS perspective or from a CMS perspective. Data analysis with a look back being the the most likely situation and then the real-time maybe much further out based on technology advancement, security advancements, whatever other things that would need to go into that that I certainly don't understand. So, and the interesting part about a number of these, you can correct me, in the end, accuracy Pretty good, but just having that documentation there to know exactly how things are occurring, to be able to answer questions as they come up, is key. Yeah. So, and accuracy, it there, there's always things, really neat things that you find, and it's not circumvention or malicious. It's just that understanding. You uncover things that someone did as maybe a programmer who had no regulatory basis. He was just right. like, okay, how do I do it? And I don't know what to, I don't know any difference. I'm going to do it this way. Well, that gets buried somewhere and then we kind of uncover it. So there's nothing malicious and there's nothing, you know, uh, you know, circumvention about around it. It's just a true understanding. And also 
an understanding 20 years ago or 10 years ago versus today change, right? right. You know, it's just that, it's just that change. So, uh, you know, that aspect is, is, is something that, that documentation, but then also, you know, just making sure that we have a handle on what we are doing or, or what we should be doing and, and, and going through the process to, to manage that change looking forward. Even as interpretations evolve. Yep. Eric, appreciate it. Great talking to you. Hopefully we can have some more CMS conversations as the new administration maybe does some new and different things. Thanks for joining me. Hope everybody enjoyed the episode. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.